What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host for this evening, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, celebrating December 15th, my 26th wedding anniversary. Yes, I know I don't look a day past 29, but back on December 15th, 1995 in Orange Park, Florida, just outside of Jacksonville, where we are going this weekend, by the way. It was this weekend, 26 years ago. Man, I wish we get that weather that we got that weekend. But Paige Williams said, I do, became Paige Harris, and I have been insanely happy for the last 26 years, and hopefully there'll be 26-plus more uh, with the love of my life. So love her, wanted to make sure I started the show with that because I get to talk about football and God only knows what I'll say along the way that'll embarrass her because I know she's probably out there driving around listening know what I just said about her she's totally embarrassed that's okay it's all right a little bit embarrassed I embarrass myself pretty much every single day so it's okay it's cool so on the show this evening we're gonna go behind enemy sidelines with our good friend DP Sidhu and because it's Jacksonville week you know it's JP Shadrick he covers the Jags for Jaguars.com he's a senior team reporter he's also a play-by-play voice for touchdown radio so he called the Alabama Auburn game I think earlier this year he's called some pretty good games this year in college football so I don't know if DP will get into that but some great stuff from JP Shadrick then we will go men behind the mics two of my very good friends obviously Mark Vandermeer I work with on a daily basis he has become a great great friend and a dear friend but Frank Frangi is as well I've known Frank since I moved to Jacksonville back in 1994 Frank is the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, so we will go men behind the mics a little later in the show. And we got a little in the lab with Drew Doherty with me. We talk about this game, this offense, what we'd like to see change, some of the things that we're, we're seeing. So we'll talk about that in our in the lab segment. We obviously got to go around the NFL. There's a lot happening in the NFL. And unfortunately, that five-letter word is popping back up again COVID, Ugh, boy, it's tough. And we got some news about that with the Texans, and we will get there in just a little bit. But we kick off every Wednesday show with the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. And for some reason, we got to talking about sleep and how important it actually is. Here's Nick with myself and Mark. Let's go. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, great to see you. How you doing? Morning, fellas. All right, great to see you. Now, let's talk about Davis Mills for a moment here. Gets the start on Sunday, throws for over 300 yards. What did you see that you liked and what needs work moving forward, Nick? Yeah, offensively, we were able to get off to a decent start, you know, scored in the first drive. So, you know, overall execution was good. Um, had some success as a team, you know, in the first half and the second half, maybe not as consistent, you know, as we would, would have liked. I think from the quarterback position, you know, the one thing um, that we always talk about is taking care of the football. So took care of the football, you know, made decision, pretty good decisions for the most part. Um, was able to get the ball, you know, out on time. Um, you know, could have done a little bit better job in a pocket, you know, just some of the movement and just kind of have a better sense uh, of the rush and the feel around him. But, you know, overall, you know, we – Move the ball offensively in the first half, second half, you know, kind of hit some rough spots. And, you know, at the end of the game, we're just trying to make up some ground. So, you know, making progress, but in the end, it wasn't good enough. Nick, all in all, how important is it to have a guy like Brandon Cooks? Obviously, he goes out and, and, and he's a tremendous player, but just how hard he plays. Fourth quarter, 30 seconds left, down 
33-13, and yet he's fighting for every inch. How important is it to have a guy like that? Yeah, it really just speaks to who Brandon is as a person. You know, we talk about, you know, obviously everybody sees what happens on the football field and looks at him as football players. But, you know, a lot of the, the individuals and a lot of the players, it's about who they are as people and what the what they do on a day-to-day basis. So we have a lot of people that are emblematic of that, that have the, the – the core values and principles that are important, I would say, to this program and team as we're trying to build this out. But, you know, Brandon's been that way since he's been in the league. I mean, honestly, he was that way going back to Oregon State. You know, when he came out of Oregon State, like his personality, his demeanor, quite frankly, they haven't really changed. So, I mean, it's been consistent for however long he's been in the league. So it speaks to him as as, as a person, who he is, and how much he cares about football. And, you know, it sends a great message to, you know, the rest of the team. Well, he's the OG of the playmakers on the offense, Nick. And when you see Brevin Jordan getting his third touchdown reception, when you see Nico continuing to make catches, we mentioned Mills. What do you want to see out of the young guys in these next few games here to close out 2021? I think it's important just for everybody just to try to make progress and continue to make improvement in areas, you know, whatever it is your particular position you play in in the skills that you have. I think the biggest thing for a player is consistency week to week. So you want to be able to maintain that over the course of a long duration of time. So you don't want to see it one week and then next week it's not as good. And it's not necessarily about touches or catches or production. Maybe they're doing it in some other ways. They have an understanding of the assignment. They have an understanding of the opponent. So just their overall, I would say, knowledge base and understanding of football um, and realizing that each week's a different entity. So the opponent this week, so how Jacksonville plays, how their corners play, how their secondary plays, how their linebackers play is different than the way Seattle plays. So being able to understand that, being able to apply that once you go through the week and understand it, those are the things that you're looking for. And it's just overall growth and development from one day to the next, one week to the next. And it's really just about stacking as many days on top of um, each other as possible. Jacksonville week one, Jacksonville week 14. We've seen division opponents. I mean, we saw the Colts, you know, both games in between the span of that. 13 weeks is a long time. I mean, we've obviously seen changes on our team. How have they changed from week one to week 14, Nick? Yeah, it's interesting. When you look at their team, um, they haven't had a lot of, I would, they've had some changes, but they haven't had a lot of changes. So when you look at how they're playing defense on the defensive side of the ball, like the group that's playing the front seven and then even in the secondary. You know, other than they added Lawson here kind of midway through the year. Actually, it coincided with the Henderson trade. So they yep. added Lawson, so he's kind of given them some depth. But they've gotten pretty good play from Campbell from the from the beginning of the year until now. So he's done a nice job on the perimeter. Griffin has kind of been there for every snap. You know, it's safety. They kind of, you know, Jenkins has been, uh, you know, a steadying force, I would say, all year. Um, and it's, it's interesting with him. You know, there's a guy who plays 90% or whatever it is. Laser team and special teams tackles. Yeah. So just it talks mm-hmm. about, like I'd say, his commitment to the team. So, and Wingard has taken a bigger role on in the secondary, and the linebackers are still a problem. You know, Jack is, you know, probably as good a linebacker that will face. Uh, Wilson's done a good job. So when you look at their actual defensive uh, configuration, they haven't necessarily had a lot of personnel changes. Same thing on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Trevor started every game. They've had really their changes have come on the perimeter um, at the receiver yeah. position. You know, had Agnew, lost Agnew, had Shark, lost Shark. So a guy like Treadwell has actually stepped up and made the most of his opportunity here when, quite frankly, not sure anybody had expected that. But, you know, Treddy's been in the league a long time, and he's taken advantage of some opportunities. You know, Jones has been there from the beginning. So any offensive line, for the most part, has kind of been intact. Probably, you know, the running back position, those Hyde and, and, and uh, Robinson, you know, been there from the beginning, and Dare has his role in the kicking game. So 
a lot of the people are the same. They've mm-hmm. you know had to make some modifications and changes as they've yeah. gone, and to a certain extent, they've kind of experienced some of the same things that we have. They've had some good moments. They've had some you know games where they played well. They had some other games they haven't played as well. So you know it's really an opportunity for both teams this week to go out there and you know execute against a, a new opponent. Nick, we uh, talked about Davis Mills a little bit. It's a rookie quarterback matchup this week, and we talked about some of the other rookies with rookies. You know, traditionally we've talked about this rookie wall that can happen during a season, but you guys have so much technology now with everything they're wearing in and out of the building and at, on the practice field and during games. Have you been able to analyze rookie walls in general and see that they actually do exist, or how do you gauge that? No, it's an interesting concept. As far as the technology is concerned, really what I would say most teams are probably doing with that technology is just measuring the loading of their team on a week-to-week basis to see the level of exertion, to see some of the things that go on on a practice field, to see if you have a big spike from one week to the next. So then take that information, and if you have to modify maybe some of the things that you do during the course of the week in order to get your team to Sunday, ultimately that's the most important thing. But as it pertains to young players and rookie players, the biggest difference is just the sheer volume. So we've played 13 regular season games, three preseason games, so 16 games. So for those players in particular, they've had essentially two seasons. So they've had a, a maybe a modify or adjust kind of their process and realize, okay, the season's not over, you know, in the middle of December. So we have another month. So this is where the importance of their routine, what you do on a daily basis, how you prepare the nutrients and the food that you put into your body, the fuel that you put in your body affects your performance on the field. Your performance on the field is impacted by some of the things you do in strength and development. So the biggest thing in the messaging is it's all tied together. So the more consistent you can be with that, the more you can develop and evolve that over the course of the year, that's going to give you an opportunity to hopefully make it to the end of the year and be productive and stay healthy. So with, I would say with, with our rookies, Wallow is a good example of a player who's actually, he's gotten stronger He's actually gotten faster. He's modified his routine throughout the course of the year. He's been very receptive to the information that we've provided to him. And, you know, it's turned into, I would say, fairly productive performance over the course of the year in a kicking game. And then he had an opportunity to play defensively there on Sunday. He's gotten a few more reps just given where we were at linebacker. So a lot of this is just preparing your mind, preparing your body, and utilizing the resources that we have in the building that are ample that we're here to serve the players. Those people are here. The various departments are here to serve the players. So the resources are here. So take advantage of them and use them wisely. There's one extra game this year, Nick, in the regular season up to 17. Did that and has that factored into all those things you talked about, about, I don't want to use the words loads management, but whatever the case might be, but has that one game of, okay, this is an extra long regular season. We've never played 17 games before. Has that kind of factored in the way you look at things or no? Not necessarily, John. You know, going from 16 to 17 games, I would say it's just one more game. It's one more week of whatever. Mm -hmm. When you look at basketball, maybe, you know, they have 82 games. So when they're playing one, you know, two, three, four nights, you know, back to back, and then they're off, then they're playing again. Maybe that has a little bit more relevance, but I'd say some of the, the things that we're doing and some of the things that other teams in the league are doing have probably really started to take speed, catch some pace here over the last, you know, probably couple of years. I yeah. think teams are more cognizant of it. And a lot of it is just to making sure that their athletes are in the best position to go out there and per- optimize their performance on Sunday. Yeah. Have you had over time, and I would imagine there's probably been a player somewhere that was just like, look, just give me to Sunday. Just give me to Sunday. I can be ready to go on Sunday. But when I get to week 14, 15, 16, 
I, I'm not going to be able to practice, but I can be there on Sunday. I can be ready to go. Have you had situations like that? And when you did or if you did, how did that sort of play throughout the team? Did they kind of understand that, hey, we know we need this guy on Sunday, so that means you don't practice, we got to deal with it. Do you ever had this situation? Yeah, every player's different. A lot of this comes down to communication. And, mm-hmm. you know, a player that has more experience than a younger player, maybe you're more receptive to what he's right. telling you. But I think what you're finding is, well, we, can ha- we have data that can actually back up maybe how you mm-hmm. think you're feeling. So then if you can communicate that information and then show it to them, Honestly, once you actually show it to them, then they come to the realization and go, oh, okay, that makes some yeah, sense. Yeah. So a lot of this is communication. A lot of this is actually taking the information. And really, I think sometimes players are sort of hesitant to sort of buy into or listen to that. But the reality is it's to their benefit. We're actually right. trying to help them. Right. So once you look at it through that lens and perspective, it's a, lot of it e- a little bit easier. You do have to be careful of, okay, not going to practice all week, but then I'm going to be ready to go on Sunday. Practice matters. Yeah, practice is important. The timing, the execution, right. and just being able to go through those repetitions in practice. So practice does make a difference. Practice is important. If you can figure out a way to manage those players within the context of you know confines of your practice, then that's okay. But I think this whole idea of all right, you know, I'm not going to do anything all week and then be ready to yeah. go on Sunday. Your body is not built that way. Right. So you're probably going to have an adverse effect or adverse reaction or something else is going to happen that we're not even talking about. So depending on the player, I think yep. you just have to be really careful about just kind of you know coming to that conclusion and taking that leap of faith. All right. This might be a longer conversation, but how do you guys handle sleep and the direction of how much sleep they should get as players? And I'm going to layer on something else. Coaches too, Nick. Coaches need to sleep. No, Mark, <laughs> it's, it's an excellent point. So... <laughs> Not to get into a big like nutritional uh, exercise oh, discussion, <laughs> but it's all related. Yeah. Sleep, how much time you give your body to recover, mm-hmm. the fuel that you put into your body, and then the activity, how much that is in duration, all matters and all factors in. So each person is wired differently. Like we're all wired differently, how much we need. You know, some of us can survive on less sleep and not have, you know, ill effects. Other people need more sleep because they're trying to regulate their body. But we, you know, we've sleep is important. We've talked to the players about sleep and we have ways to educate them about their sleep patterns and what they can do. Or if they're having trouble sleeping, some people don't even know they have sleep apnea, right? They're right. up in the middle of the night or, hey, I'm waking up in the middle of the night. Okay, well, then you do kind of a sleep analysis like, okay, what are some of the factors that go into it? You know, what are you, are, are you eating after a certain hour? Are you putting certain things into your body? You know, we spend a lot of time on that in New England as well. So, uh, athletes need sleep. They need recovery time because they tax their body, I would say, very rigorously during the course of the week. So you can't, you know, be ready to play and feel fresh if you're not giving your body a chance to recover. So sleep, what goes into your body, your nutrition, the recovery action that you take during the course of the week, combine that with your practice, <laughs> it all factors into it, absolutely. When you think back, Nick, to when you got into the league, and the information that you guys had then versus what you have now. I'd imagine it's night and day, but could you ever have it imagined when you got in the league that you would be able to analyze the sleep, analyze what they eat, uh, analyze their, their miles per hour at practice? That difference, it's not a big difference in time, but yet I would imagine it was sort of when you look back like, man, how did we even do these things back then? Yeah, you just go off of the resources and the information they have available at that time. So mm-hmm. a lot of this is a credit to the technology that's evolved and grown over yeah. time. So 
there, this is a credit to what goes on, whether it's in Silicon Valley or a number of different entities that have provided technology. Now, I think what you have to be careful of is just trying everything yeah. and saying, okay, we're going to implement that. So if there's a particular reason you've really researched it and studied it and said, you know what, this is something that can help us, yeah. here's what it tells us. It really, it goes back to the why. Like, why are we doing it? Why are the players using it? What's the tangible benefit? And look, there's a thousand things that are out there yeah. from Fitbit to Whoop Band to whatever is one better than the other. I mean, I'm not sure. But at the time, going back to, you know, when I started in the league, you know, we didn't have those things available. Yeah. But you train the athletes and there were certain ways that you can measure some of their recovery and you can, you know, look at them in a training room and just make sure they're healthy. Now we have more things available. There's more resources, more people that you're allocated towards that. And really, it's with the idea of trying to provide the player as much information as possible. Because actually, if you think about it, during the off-season, right. so when they go to these training facilities, whether it's Exos or whatever it is off-site, they're doing those same types of things. So mm-hmm. in some respects, if you can provide a similar type of environment, yeah. then if they're in Houston all year, like we have everything they need all in one spot. So we can do the same things here as they were do- if they would be doing somewhere else in California, Arizona, or wherever it is. Nick, next couple of years, you have 19 draft choices as an organization. That's without making any additional moves whatsoever. I know you guys are always evaluating the class of 22 and beyond, but how does that make you feel as a staff as you and your staff evaluate who's out there for you to have all those picks moving forward? Not that you know how you'll use them yet, but mm-hmm. it gives you a lot of opportunities. Is it really that many? I didn't yeah. realize it was that It's many. the most so. in the history of this franchise since years one and two. And in the expansion year, there were 13 picks because it was an expansion Right. Team. It's like you walked to the jackpot table and you're like, uh, I'll just take all those right here. Well, we've yeah. added some of those yeah. over the last year. Yeah. Um, it's really it just creates more opportunity. And then ultimately, it just comes down to what you do with those decisions. And mm-hmm. just I think from our perspective, it's always just trying to make sound quality decisions, understanding that even when you draft a player or where you draft a player, if you pick them, it doesn't necessarily guarantee like you're going to have the results behind it. So really the draft is kind of a starting point of, okay, however you – the draft is about player acquisition, and it's really about getting them into the building. So mm-hmm. once they get in the building, okay, then you take away their draft round status wherever they were, then everybody starts from ground zero, and then they start kind of their process and their evolution and their development as a player. So – what it does, it just gives us organizationally, you know, more opportunities to acquire more players, hopefully, and bring more quality people and players into the building. And as we look to grow and, and put a foundation in place that's sustainable for a long period of time, hopefully there's some players in there that, you know, we add to the roster and the team that will be able to do that, you know, for the years to come. We were talking to Coach the other day, and I don't know how we got on this topic, but he said he had gone to, the Ar- to an Army-Navy game. He said it was the most incredible thing that he had ever seen. In all of your travels and going to college games and such – was there a game that you and I mean, I know you had to go there to work, but was there one where you're like, whoa, this is pretty cool, like a rivalry game or just a game that you remember in general when you've been out traveling, going to games? Have you had a situation like that, like one you got to get to that you want to get to? Yeah, and actually, we've talked. It's interesting that everybody, I think, wants to go through the Army-Navy experience or yeah. visit Army's campus or yeah, visit yeah. Navy's campus. Right. I haven't had the opportunity to do so as of yet. So sometimes it's just environments being environments. I mean, quite frankly – when I was at the Alabama-Arkansas um, game, that was the first time I'd been in their stadium. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a pretty, you know, pretty cool environment. So right. you try not to get too caught up in the game, but, right. you know, there's a lot of great college atmospheres that are out there. I would certainly put that at the top of the list. Um, I think it was at Ohio State uh, when Phillip Rivers was coming out and they played, like it was a Saturday yeah, afternoon. Yeah. yeah, we actually we were playing in Philadelphia the next, uh, the next day, so I went from – Columbus, and then got hopped on a flight and then went to Philadelphia and be ready to go for our game there in Philly. So, 
Um, a lot of it is just trying to, you know, just experience some different environments, some cool environments. We talked about this out in stadium, like when I was there for a yep. game, like that's a, it's, it's a really cool place. It's a really, really awesome place. So there's a lot of good places out there in college football. So hopefully at some point we'll be able to hit all of them. Well, one more for you. The Heisman Trophy winner came from Alabama. I know he's not eligible to be drafted, but as that experience goes, seeing those players, the finalists, go to New York and whoever the winner might be, do you ever look at that stuff as far as draft analysis just to see how they conduct themselves or whatever, getting to know the guys a little bit better? Because I would imagine all the data is important no matter where it comes from. Yeah, any opportunity you kind of have to evaluate a player is just another you – know, it's a different arena, and I would say specific to the Heisman you know, situation, you know, that they're outside of their element a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously like they've accomplished so very much to get there. So – you know, that overall experience, some are overwhelmed by it, some handle it, and just how they, you know, and the people that are with them, the people that have had the biggest influence on their lives, they're obviously, you know, they're with them celebrating. So, I mean, the players that were there were as good as any players in college football this year, so it's a credit to them. So only one player can win. But any opportunity you have to kind of watch and evaluate just how a player goes through a certain experience, it's always helpful. Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck this week. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Congrats to Bryce Young, quarterback at Alabama. Been following him for a while. There's a there's a YouTube account called Under the Radar Highlights. And I stumbled on it probably about three or four years ago. And they go to games, high school games. Well, they started in California. And they started filming games in California. They've not branched out. They're not doing them for games in Texas, big games in Georgia. And they get on-field access. And they've got down-on-the-field highlights. So you don't see it from up high. You see it down low. But they get a lot of stuff. So I've been kind of following modern day and Bryce Young for a while. He is really fun to watch. One of my favorite ones is when St. John Bosco in modern day went toe-to-toe a few years ago. DJ Uyunglele, who's quarterback at Clemson, and Bryce Young went at it. It ended up being 39-38. Bosco had to come from behind to win. Either way, point being, Bryce Young, congratulations on winning the Heisman. I did think that Will Anderson was robbed. He should have been there as well alongside Aiden Hutchinson because to me, the three best players in college football this year were Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Jr., outside linebacker from Alabama, a true sophomore, is not eligible for the draft. And Aiden Hutchinson, who is eligible for the draft, whose dad played at Cy Creek, I believe. Um, I think it was Cy Creek. I know it was in the Cypress area. I think he was a year before me, a year younger. I'm sorry, a year older than me. I'm a year younger. But, yeah, he was a great, great player here in the state of Texas, went to the University of Michigan, and then stayed up there for his, uh, I think his medical school is where he ended up going, was Michigan. So Aiden grew up there. And I would imagine his dad played in Houston. He played in Michigan. I'm sure the Lions would love him. We would love him. Eh, Aiden Hutchinson uh, is a whale of a player. But congratulations to Bryce Young for winning the Heisman Trophy. Okay, we've got information on the Texans. We'll save that a little bit later in the show. Big injury report came out today. It's long, as you would expect. And that transaction listing was about as long, too. COVID striking yet again. But we'll get to that a little later in the show because coming up next, J.P. Shadrick, our good pal from Jacksonville, covers the Jaguars for Jaguars.com, will join us as we go behind enemy sidelines on Texans All Access. All Access. All Access. All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. And earlier today, my wife and I were trying to create plans for my anniversary, our anniversary. And she said, well, where do you want to go eat? And I know that she wasn't going to be happy with my answer, but I actually said Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. 
because I love the double steak burger, no onions. I like my fried cheese curds, and I love the turtle concrete. Like that, like that's a that's a meal that I could, I could have every single day. Now I might be, you know, a few lbs larger than I am now, but that's that's really what I I wanted. Because Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive-through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more car picnics and desserts, more, maybe even more second desserts, more being together as much as we can with 17 area locations. In the Houston area, Freddy's keeps the good going with the taste that brings you back. In fact, it was my wife who actually opened my eyes to Freddy's, and I've never looked back. I absolutely love that place and look you don't just need to go there for an anniversary you can go there any time you want just get on over to freddy's frozen custard and steak burgers now i know a guy that would definitely go over there if he lived in houston and that's our good friend jp shadrick each and every week dp sitter goes behind enemy sidelines to speak with a key information gatherer from the other side this week it's jp shadrick and he is typically our go-to for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's a good thing because he is absolutely fantastic. He's a great play-by-play man in college football and a great play-by-play man just period. Here's J.P. Shadrick with our good friend, D.P. Sidhu. D.P., take it away. It's Enemy Sidelines presented by Microsoft. It's my good friend, J.P. Shadrick of the Jaguars Radio Network. Joining me once again, we spoke in week one. Here he is again, J.P. How's it going here in the final stretch of the season? Well, it's going, DP. It's always good to be with you. Two and 11. You guys know the feeling. It's not a good one. The uh, Jags, unfortunately, have had this feeling a lot over the years. Uh, This one is coming with a little more uh, headlines around it and some drama and some bad offense thrown in there as well. So there's a lot going on here. It's going the wrong way right now. And, but you know, a month to maybe try to salvage something in, in the form of a winning result. They haven't been able to do that lately, though. Well, the Texans they beat the Jags in week one. So what is the mindset of this Jaguars team as they head into uh, Sunday's matchup at home against the Texans, especially after coming off of a shutout loss against the Titans just the week before? Yeah, step one is just to move the ball efficiently and then somehow score points. They were shut out for the first time since 2009 last week in Tennessee. And they were held under 200 yards total in the game for the third time this season and now in back-to-back weeks. So the offense just feels worse than it's been all year. Offensive line is having some pass protection issues, at least they did last week. Certainly on the interior, the guard play was not ideal against the Titans' defensive line. And then the, the receivers on the outside have had issues throughout the season consistently finding a way to get open, especially down the field. And then the running game, they got away from it. They only ran the ball eight times, seven of those by running backs for a total of eight yards last week. And it was a 10-0 game a lot of the way. They just got away from it a little early, and it's the lowest production in the rushing game in the history of the franchise last week. So they've got to figure it out. They're at their best when James Robinson is fully healthy. They give him the football and then give Trevor Lawrence that security blanket at least to fall back on. But it's just felt like lately they haven't really been able to figure out an attack in the running game, whether it's bringing the guy off or they fumble the ball some. They've got to get that figured out if this offense is going to improve, I think, down the final month. Well, a lot to unpack there, JP. Let's start with Trevor Lawrence. He threw four interceptions uh, and threw the ball a ton against the Titans. 
but it seems like he had a stretch of games in October where he showed progress. What have you seen from him over the course of the season since we faced him in week one? Yeah, he was he was really good, actually. Um, you know, he had ratings above 90 and was doing all that. And then, like we said, the running game changed when James Robinson got hurt. And that was in Seattle not long after the week seven bye week. That's when this offense just started to go down a little bit because it was more on Trevor's shoulders. And as we said, they've had some wide receiver uh, issues trying to get open consistently. And as it's gone, I mean, you know, he's trying to protect the football and he does do some things very well. Uh, this past week, though, there were a couple balls that you can claim are not his fault. LaVisca Chenault dropped one and it was tipped up in the air and intercepted. Another one, similar situation, but two times and he said it in the post-game press conference last week, it, you know, just made bad decisions or the linebacker jumped back and made a good play on it. Um, but, it, you know, the four interception day, that's the reason why. I mean, they were, they were trying to fight back in that game. They gotten away from the run. And it, it turned out to be a, a tough day at the office. I think there's still a lot of uh, hope and optimism around Trevor Lawrence. The statistics have not shown it lately. But if you ask the guys in the locker room, they still believe in what he can do and what he has done on the practice field and, and is a, has the ability to do in games and leadership in the huddle and on the sideline and everything. So uh, make no mistake, he is the franchise guy. He's going to be here. His face is plastered all over town. Uh, it's just a rough little patch now, I think, in the second half of the season for him. You mentioned James Robinson and the run game, and, and the run game is so perplexing for the Jaguars because when you look at their numbers, they've, they're they averaging over 100 yards per game. They had 198 yards rushing against Tennessee the first time they played them, and then uh, just the eight yards, like you mentioned, on Sunday total for the team um, uh, in, in the run games. It's the same backs. James Robinson is back in the game. How do they get him the ball more and, and get that run game off off to where it was just a few months ago? Well, as Tony Baselli said on a show earlier this week, uh, if you're going to be dedicated to the run, you've just got to be dedicated to the run. Even if you're down 10, nothing, uh, you might get two yards, three yards, six yards, two yards, but you have to just maintain it and do it. And they just haven't done that. Uh, honestly, in the in the play calling, they just haven't handed the ball off to him. Now, it all started when he had that heel and knee issue in Seattle. He hasn't really been 100% since then. Then there was the fumbling issue a couple weeks ago. He had fumbles in back-to-back -back games. There was the question, did you, know, did you bench him for 16 plays in the Rams game? And then the next week, he fumbled the ball early, second play of the game and didn't play for the next 20 plays. It was into the third quarter before he got a touch again. You know, the question for Urban Meyer was, did you did you sit him down? Was it injury-related? There were some different answers early in the week on that, uh, and it turned out, you know, later to find out that, yeah, you know, they did kind of bench him. And so, you know, got to hang on to the football because of the practice issues with the injury surrounding it, not being able to be on the field a lot. He's off on Thursdays now trying to get right – Urban said, hey, we haven't been able to practice a lot of that, holding on to the football, gripping it properly and all that. So there's a there's a move back to some of the fundamentals behind that. We'll see if it works out down the stretch. But at the end of the day, if they're going to run the ball, you got to run the ball. And they haven't really done that a lot just in the in the calling of the place. All right. What about this defense? Just six takeaways for this year, five interceptions, one fumble, their last in the league, why the lack of turnovers and takeaways? And has that been their biggest issue this year? Yeah, I think that's the one thing they 
obviously wish they would have had more of is, is takeaways. They haven't, they've had some opportunities, especially early in the season with the ball in their hands, dropped interceptions, things like that. Shaq Griffin had two or three that I can think of off the top of my head and, and you know, earlier in the season. But as, as a whole, the defense, I think, has improved as the season has gone along. Last week was their second best yardage day allowed all season. I mean, they, you know, not that Tennessee is, you know, throwing it all over the yard or anything, but hey, considering what's going on right now, to give this team an opportunity in a game like that was a big deal. So, you know, they have made some adjustments in their coverage early, from earlier in the season, moved to a lot of zone. They were playing man early in the season more. They switched that. And since that switch, things have improved. Um, Joe Cullen has settled in now, I think, as a defensive coordinator for the first time in the NFL. He's been in the league forever, but it's his first year calling defensive plays. They have an identity. They're going to play well against the run. That's the idea, at least. And they're going to bring heat. They're going to blitz you. And they're not just going to sit back there and rush forward. They're going to bring different blitz packages. And they may not execute all the time, but, hey, they're going to, they know, you know what they are. And there are some individual guys that have improved as the season goes as as the season has gone along. And then last week, you know, Trevor Lawrence throws four interceptions. On those sudden change situations, the Jags defense allowed a total of 21 yards and only a field goal to keep the game somewhat within reach. If there was any offensive production at all, Jags are right back in the game. That's a big part of it in the second half. So uh, that's been a bright spot, I think relative to what we're talking about a bright spot for the Jaguars the defensive play as the year has gone on you you know what they are at least yeah I was I was gonna say there obviously are bright spots but sometimes hard to see amidst a 2-11 and season I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Urban Meyer it's been tough for him both on and off the field and I saw that the Jags owner Shad Khan met with him earlier this week what can you tell us about that meeting and, and why it took place when it did well, there was those reports last weekend that came out, Tom Pelissero, NFL Network and NFL Media, of tension from the coaching staff and the players and the assistant coaches. And, well, yeah, I mean, they're 2-11, and 11, I, you know, 2-10 and 10 at that point. So there's certainly tension, and um, they're just trying to work through it. I think Shad Khan is he, – he sees the headlines, too, throughout the season and the offseason and, and now into the regular season that has happened that aren't football related. There's a lot of those that have happened so far this year. And Mr. Khan is a patient owner. You got to remember he gave Gus Bradley four years around here as the head coach. Doug Marone got four years as the head coach here. They didn't win a lot of games really with either one, with the exception of the one AFC championship game run back in 2017 under Marone. But at, in those points, okay, they weren't playing well. They had rebuilt the roster. It was kind of the, as he said this week, Mr. Khan, the lowly Jags, nobody's dealing with you. Okay. Well, now it's the Jags aren't playing well, and there's all this off-the-field headline drama that goes with it. The balance of that, um, we'll see in the next few weeks, you know, if Mr. Khan has a decision to make, if he wants to, if he's going to ride it out and give it a, a shot, do they believe that this can be built properly? There's still at least belief from Urban Meyer that, that can happen. So, that was a conversation, and I think the conversations are ongoing. It's not the only time they've talked this year. They talk a good bit, but uh, considering all the headlines lately, it's of note. All right, good stuff. J.P. Shadrick, as always, final matchup between the Jaguars and the Texans on Sunday. Looking very much forward to it, J.P. Thanks so much for the time. Always, D.P. Thank you. Great dude with unbelievable pipes. 
sense of humor. J.P. Shadrick's an awesome guy. I'm glad we get a chance to share. For the last time in 2021, I'm sure we'll catch up at the Combine, which will be a hopefully a fun reunion because we haven't been to a Combine since March of 2020, which feels like eons ago. Uh, yet it's been less than two years. But hopefully that's going to happen down the road. I got my fingers crossed considering all the things that are happening, especially uh, with uh, COVID. We're going to get to that in our next segment. But a reminder to register your kids ages 12 and under to become a Toros Kids Club member for free. F-R-E-E spells free. And submit their holiday wish for their chance to be granted at least one item off of their list from Santa Toro. Learn more at Houston Texans. Dot com Again, that's Santa Toro. And all you got to do is register at Toro's Kids Club. Become a member for free. All right, we get back. Injury report, transactions, long list on both. We'll do that next right here in Texans All Access. 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 It's a Wednesday, Texans All Access coming at you. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And a former teacher, and I'm talking to all my, well, former, current teachers. If you're instructing, if you're tutoring, whatever the case might be, you want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom, then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Just go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. ConocoPhillips taking care of of you now if you're not a math teacher maybe you teach pe that's cool have the houston texans come to your pe class and teach the fundamentals of nfl flag football to your students all who register have the chance to receive a flag football kit for the entire class visit houstontexans.com slash flag to register conoco phillips giving you toro's math drills texans giving you nfl flag this is awesome stuff. You're a teacher. It's what you need, man. You got to have supplies. You got to have tools. And I'm telling you right now, flag football is the best. When I was growing up, I didn't play tackle football. I didn't play tackle football until I moved here to Texas. And that wasn't until sixth grade. Lamar Hornets, baby. We were tough. Anyhow, beat the Longhorns, beat the Sugarland Cowboys. Took care of a lot of people. I think it was the Stafford Longhorns, too. Either way, flag football, I played for fourth grade, fifth grade. I played it when I graduated college. I loved it. Flag football is awesome, so make sure you check that out at HoustonTexas.com slash flag. Okay, let's get into some Texans news from today. Now, this one's going to take a little while, but I mentioned earlier that COVID is wreaking havoc across the league, and it's not just in Houston. I think there are eight or nine teams that are in the intensive COVID protocol list there have been discussions amongst or are going to have discussions apparently amongst the owners about what to do about this there's thoughts about boosters anyhow i i don't want to get into the whole politics of the situation your politics be what they are this is just the facts covid is again wreaking havoc in the league number of players have gone on to the covid19 list that was the case for the Texans last week with David Johnson. Well, it has struck again. Three more players have been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list for the Texans. Starting linebacker Christian Kirksey. Special team or extraordinaire A.J. Moore. And defensive lineman from Sandalwood High School right there in Jacksonville, Florida. Demarcus 
Walker. I would imagine DeMarcus with a trip to Jacksonville at hand. Oy. Now, the rules, I think at this point, maybe we know, maybe we don't. If they're vaccinated, and I'm pretty sure that they are, they've got to have two positive tests before they can come back as long as they are asymptomatic. So there is a possibility. Who knows? David was put on COVID, the COVID-19 reserve list, I think on a Saturday or early Sunday morning. So he wasn't going to be able to make it back. But he was back at practice, I think, today. So he was able to get off that list pretty quickly. So vaccinated, you need two, pos- two negative tests, excuse me, to be able to get back. But as of right now, Christian Kirksey, A.J. Moore, Demarcus Walker put on that COVID-19 list. The Texans, and this is good news, have designated the following player for return, and that's Jordan Jenkins, who was playing some outstanding football against the Miami Dolphins right before the bye week. And I think it was against Tennessee when he got dinged up early in that game. He has been out since. He has been designated for return and the defensive linemen were all the way in the far corner today in practice, but I'm pretty sure I saw 5-0 at practice, so that was good news to see Jordan Jenkins out of practice. He has been designated for return. Darius Anderson is a name that locals may recognize. He played, I believe it was George Ranch. I, I believe it was George Ranch, maybe Foster. Now I'm messing it up, but I know he's from my neck of the woods out there at Richmond Rosenberg in that area. Played his college ball at TCU. Running back, he has been signed to the practice squad. And the Texans need running backs because Rex Burkhead, as coach announced today, more than likely not going to be going this week. So that leaves running back situation. David Johnson coming back off COVID, ready to go. And Royce Freeman, who I thought did some good things in both the running and receiving game on Sunday. Darius Anderson added to the practice squad. We'll see what that means. We'll see if the team can get back Jalen Samuels at some point and try and bolster that running back position because at the end of the game, actually the second half of the game, it was just Royce Freeman and that was it. And then it was, what are we going to do at running back with what we have left? So Darius Anderson uh, going to the practice squad. That dude can run. I know that much. He can absolutely fly. And last and certainly not least, and I hate this, going on the injured list with a broken leg is Davion Davis. I love Davion Davis. I've been following him for a long time. I want to see him succeed. Come out of Sam Houston State, playing for Casey Keeler. I called a number of his games all four years that he was at Sam Houston State and really been cheering for him to succeed. And he got off to a great start the other day. Gets a third down catch, and then on the tackle, he ends up breaking his ankle, uh, breaking his leg. I think it was his ankle. Uh, But Davion Davis goes to the reserve injured list. That's a lot. That is an absolute mouthful. However, the next two gentlemen joining the show, they can go for way longer than I just did. Frank Frangie, the voice of the Jags. Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans. My two pals get together for Men Behind the Mics next on Texans All Access. We've got one hour in the books on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. One hour left to go. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst. Sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And I know a lot of you out there know my history. I started, after I graduated from Brown, I went down to Jacksonville, Florida, where I was teaching and coaching at Episcopal High School, which is just on the other side of the St. John's River from where we will be on Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I grew up listening to a guy on sports radio by the name of Frank Frangie. 
And about seven, eight years ago, Frank was named the play-by-play voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was about that same time that I got down on the sidelines for our radio broadcasts. And it was a couple years later when I suggested to Mark, look, you need to get these play-by-play voices on with you. I'll call it men behind the mics. It'll be an awesome segment. And he bit. He took the bait. But it's a great segment. It's one of my favorites all week long when Mark sits down with the voice from the other side. I call it men behind the mics, like I said. Here's Frank and the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Frank, Frangie, and Frank. We have to stop meeting like this. Here we are after the opening day matchup. It's the rematch, the Texans at Jacksonville. How you doing, and how do you see this one heading in? Well, tough tough year, Mark. Good to be on with you. Thanks for calling. And Yeah, I uh, no drama here, bro. Just same old stuff, uh, day in and day out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's been it's been an unusual season to say the least. And yeah, I think it's two teams that are kind of evenly matched, both struggling to kind of find themselves. Uh, and um, it's more unusual for you guys, Mark. I think because you guys are accustomed for a long stretch to winning the division. There, it's it's been a tougher go here. So, but uh, yeah, tough tough season so far. And uh, Interesting game coming up this week for sure. Well, opening day, the Texans and Jaguars met. You knew it was the debut for Trevor Lawrence and all that. And I expected the Jags to develop and improve from there. But what hasn't happened? What's needed to happen that you haven't seen from this team in a couple of key areas, Frank? You know, it's funny, Mark. I think uh, the Jaguars were terrible that, that opening day. It was the first game for Urban in the league, first game for Trevor in the league. And they were terrible. They got steadily better. You could they they led Arizona, a really good football team, deep into the third quarter. They led Cincinnati at the half, who's a pretty good football team. They were getting better. They won two out of three at one stretch. It looked like they had turned the corner, and then the progress stopped. Uh, I I think a number of things happened. They never found the running game. James Robinson's a good back. They just haven't fed him, uh, and I think that is that has halted the progress and development of Trevor Lawrence, Mark. Uh, he's certainly frustrated now a little bit. He's had some of his toughest games of late because I think teams no longer respect the run or the fact that Jackson was going to try and run. And so I think the lack of a running game has led to a lack of an offense. And, I mean, this is the only team in the league that hasn't scored 24 points in a game all year. Most of the teams in the league have done it between five and ten times. The Jags haven't done it once. They haven't been north of 17 points since going to London in the middle of October. So this has been a tough go. Offense is the problem. Defense isn't bad, actually. This guy, Joe Cullen, the defensive coordinator, has done a pretty nice job with this group. But the offense has really struggled. That's that. That's the big picture, Mark, and that's what's gone wrong here. Yeah, I look at last week, Frank, and the point total for the Titans is not that high. Obviously, the turnovers for the Jaguars was a big problem. Why couldn't they run it, or why didn't they try to run it more last week? Was it just because they weren't converting on third downs, or they were turning it over? Yeah, well, there's two there's two questions. Why couldn't they, and why didn't they try more? Two different questions. Why couldn't they? The line didn't play very well. Um, the, the two guards had a tough day. The right tackle had a tough day. Uh, last week against the Titans, who are a physical football team. Same thing happened against the 49ers, who are a physical football team, Mark. Um, the big mystery is, and look, they're trying to get it right. Daryl Bevel, the, the coordinator, has been around this league a long time. He's a good football coach. But they seem to have bailed on the run. They didn't run very much last week. There were times I thought they could have stuck to the run a little bit more. Uh, they tend to go five wide and attack. When, when you would think they might run. So that's a big mystery. Urban Meyer spoke to it this week. He said, look, we, we probably bailed on the run again too early. I think this is a team that needs to try and run the football. 
Mark, even if it's running on first down and make two yards and running on second down and make a yard, third and seven, run a draw, play, and punt every now and then. I think it, you're, you're sending a message that you're not afraid to run and you're going to beat on the defensive line for a while. And that's what NFL teams do, and this team hasn't done as much. So I think if there's an adjustment to be made, I think they've got to run the ball more. And I think they've got to be more committed to trying to run the ball. I think that's the thing. Frank Frangi, voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, joining us. Give me a couple of wow moments for Trevor Lawrence so far this season where you say, all right, that's why he's the number one pick. We get it. We see it. I know you've seen it since training camp, but have there been certain moments this season where you see those flashes and it gives you great encouragement for the future? There haven't been enough. I can tell you he made two or three in the uh, in the Dolphins win. He made uh, two or three really good throws, one on a little skinny post to Chenault. Um that set up the game-winning field goal. Same thing against Buffalo. But the reality is, it's there, Mark. This guy has got a big arm. He's athletic. He's twitchy for a six-foot-six guy. All that's there. I'll tell you what I've been most impressed with, though. It's the software, not the hardware. You know the hardware is there. He's a six-foot-six guy with a big arm. His numbers aren't very good this year. Neither were Josh Allen's, the Buffalo quarterback, when he started. His numbers are very similar to what Josh's were as a rookie. But the way he's handled everything emotionally, he, this is a, a humble guy, Mark. He's down to earth. He's a regular guy. He doesn't throw anybody under the bus. He's accountable. Um, that's why he's going to be great. This Remember, now, he was 34-2 in college. He barely lost a game in high school. He expects to win, and, and that part's been frustrating for him. But he'll be okay. they got to find a way to develop him. they got to make sure the offensive plan's the right one, and I think that's the one thing they're going to have to evaluate when the season's over. But this guy's going to be pretty good. I can tell you, there's a, there's a calmness to him. There's a, there's a professionalism. There's a maturity in addition to all those, those great physical skills. He's just got to figure it out. Right now, he's, he's bailing on the pocket sometimes too early. Uh, he's, not, he's getting fooled by robber coverages. He's getting fooled by his own blitzes, things that he hasn't seen a lot because he's new to the NFL. But he's going to be a very good player. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Frank, straighten me out on this, because when Urban Meyer got the job, I figured the offense would have a lot of cool, innovative, college-type stuff in there, and maybe it has more than I'm seeing because I don't watch every second of the Jaguars' games. And why, in your opinion, is there not more, if I'm correct about that? And did he do it just because he wanted to adapt to the NFL faster with traditional NFL coaches? What's your take on that? Well, your read is correct. It it is not – it's an offense that hasn't had a lot of imagination. It's an offense that just they just can't find their way. Uh, first of all, let me talk about the offense, and I'll get to Urban, Urban's presence in a minute, Mark. They just can't seem to find their way offensively. That That's the thing. Who are they? There's no identity. Do they want to run it? Do they want to pass it? And, they, and even 13 games in, they're still striving to figure that out. As for Urban, he's been very hands-off. He, he has not been – he's talked about how he's not micromanaging – there's times you'll ask him, why didn't James Robinson play more? And he said, you know, you got to ask this position coach. I don't know that answer yet. Mm. He's been very, very, it's, it's, it's an unusual uh, dynamic. He's been very hands-off. He's been way more CEO than get-in-the-weeds coach guy. And that surprised me a little bit, too. And so, and I think it surprised a lot of folks here. So there hasn't been a lot of Urban Meyer fingerprints on this offense in terms of plays and gadgets. There hasn't been much of that. It's been Daryl Bevel's offense, Joe Cullen's defense, and Urban, at least from the outside looking in, appears to be more of a CEO with this team. Frank Frangi, voice of the Jaguars, joining us on Texans Radio. All right, you just played the Titans. Texans beat them a few weeks ago, and the Jaguars held them down. I know there's no Derrick Henry. We all know that. But 
What do you make of their situation here? Because for a while it looked like they were the darlings of the AFC, and I know a lot of teams have had that distinction from time to time this season. But what about the Titans moving forward, Frank? I think they have a good team. Uh, without Derrick Henry and now without A.J. Brown, it's not a great team. They are, You know how they're built, Mark. They're going to run the ball. They're going to try and play defense. Last year they went good defensively, but over the years they've been a good defensive team. They're a physical team. Um, Ryan Tannehill manages. He's thrown a lot of picks this year, so he hasn't had a great year. But he manages the game more than he wins the game for you. And when that's how you're built and then you lose – the guy you've built around your best player, uh, Derek, Har- Derek Henry, the world changes, okay? And I think the world has changed for them. So, But Foreman's a good running back. They're a physical football team. They had lost two, then had a bye before we played them. They're good, not great. I, I will tell you, the team that's playing as well as anybody in football right now, I think, is the Colts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Colts got off to that tough start. So because of that tough – and they lost twice to the Titans early on, so the Titans have every tiebreaker, obviously. But that's a team I don't think anybody wants to play right now, Mark. I, I think if you ask me the best teams in the National Football League, everybody's going to say the Bucks because the Bucks are great and the Packers are right there. And the Bills have been up and down. The Patriots are playing great now. But I think the Colts, are the, I think the Colts might be one of the last teams I'd want to play if I was a playoff team. So I'm the Titans are, are ahead. I don't know if they're a better football team than the Colts right now. Really interesting stuff because when you think about the start they, they got off to, a lot right. of people left them for dead, and it just goes to show you how this league is, Frank. How do you think this season's playing out when you look at the picture at large with 17 games, with the COVID situation really heating up this week especially, and all the factors involved? Yeah, you got the doggone COVID thing, Mark. You keep thinking it's over, and then it comes back, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't even mean just football. I mean in life and in cities. Uh, we'll fly to a city, and all of a sudden everything's shut down. We'll fly to another city, and it's not and we're very blessed here in Florida, man. Everything's open and people are moving here because there, there's some there's some there's some face masks, but but for the most part, it's a pretty open world here. Mm-hmm. But man, it's, it's affected the NFL. I, I saw something today where the league and and I think this could be a big breakthrough. The league is considering. I read this on Twitter because Twitter's always right, right? Sure. I read this today <laughs> that that it said they're considering. Albert Breer wrote it. The league is considering as an enticement to get the booster. For fully vaccinated players that now add the booster, if you get the booster, you won't be tested. Now, that's not decided, wow. but they're thinking about that. That would be a game changer because then people aren't tested anymore. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be tested as they're positive, but I think that would be the game changer for the league as, as regard to COVID. As for how the league's gone, look, the great quarterback is the great quarterback's Tom Brady. He's probably going to be in the Super Bowl. The great coach, Bill Belichick, he might be in the Super Bowl. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is a dynamic player. He could be in the Super Bowl. At the end of the day, there's not a lot of surprises. When we get to January and deep into January, we know the league, Mark. It's the teams that know how to do it. And I think the rest of us, David Culley is going to try and build that over there. Urban Meyer is going to try and build that here. Everybody sees the way the model franchises do it. And at the end of the day, I think you're going to see the model franchises standing. For whatever reason, if every, if everybody could figure out that secret sauce that the ones who are really good at it have, they're the ones that are going to play in very deep. I, there, there's, there's no real surprise to me the way that all plays out. Frank, I know you cover college football in the Sunshine State as well. So what do you make of what's going on with the Holy Trinity of Florida, Florida State, and the University of Miami? I mean, these teams have just not produced the way they've been accustomed to in the past. And, look, I think the Gators and the Seminoles can get back there. I think it's going to be harder for the Hurricanes, but they just got crystal ball. What are you thinking? 
Well, I'll tell you what's happened, Mark. I'll tell you exactly what's happened in the state. People tried to win with X's and O's. Dan Mullen's a very good X's and O's guy. Jim McElwain, the, the former Florida coach, McElwain came to Florida as an X's and O's guy. Mike Norvell, the FSU guy now, was a very good X's and O's offensive guy as a coordinator for Todd Graham at Arizona State and then a head coach at Memphis. I think that's changed. You know what Florida and Miami did? They went and hired guys who had worked for the Saban Corporation. Okay, The Saban Corporation, otherwise known as Alabama football, is what's winning. That means you build this gorgeous football facility and you hire a hundred analysts and you have the, and it's all geared about around getting recruits to come to your school. And, and the Saban corporation does it better than anybody. Mm. You know where Mario Cristobal really learned how to do it when he was under Saban, you know, where Billy Napier learned how to do it when he was under Saban. I think both Florida and Miami, they're tired of all these really good players from Florida leaving and going to Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state and LSU and Georgia. And I think they're trying to keep those players here. So what they've done, I don't know how good an X's and O's coach Cristobal is or Napier is. What I do know is they worked for the Saban Corporation. Get this, Mark. So we, we saw the numbers for Billy Napier. Think about this for a second. He's making $7.5 which is standard for a good coach in college. He's got $7 million to pay his, his 10 assistant coaches. So they're going to average seven hundred grand a guy. Whatever, whatever. Some will be more, some will be less. Mark, he also has $5 million to go to everybody else that's not a head coach or an assistant coach. $5 million. So let's say that average analyst makes fifty grand, or whatever whatever they make. That's 100 guys. 100. Mm. Now, it's not going to play out exactly like that. Right. But that gives you an idea of what Alabama has done. They have more analysts, more employees. It's a corporation built on bringing players to your to your school. And uh, everybody watched how Alabama did it in Miami and Florida trying to do the same thing. It's going to be a very, very intriguing watch the next two or three years. Yep. Yeah. NIL to the race, to the arms yep. race of college athletics, and it really changes everything. Frank, uh, one more for you here. And I don't know if there's a, a direct answer to this, but number one pick in the draft, you had it last year. And here are the Texans sure. and the Jags. And I would say try to avoid that maybe. I yep. never feel good about having it, and the Texans have had it three times expansion year. They had it in 06. They had it in 13. I think that sometimes it's a trap. What are your thoughts on the Jags and maybe the fan base, media, maybe the organization too, how they feel about possibly having the number one overall pick again? Well, you don't want to have it because that means you're lousy. You know, mm -hmm. nobody wants to be lousy. And this is the first time with Trevor Lawrence, the first time Jags have ever had that first pick. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think he's going to be a really good player. So, no, you don't want to have it because that means you're lousy. It's also not the right year to have it because it's not a great draft. I do think between the Jags, the Texans, and the Lions, they're going to have the two first picks two, three of those, between those three teams. And I do think the two defensive ends are pretty good players. I really do, I really think the kid from Michigan and the kid from Oregon are pretty good players, Mark. So, so whoever gets those first two, is going to, their team's going to be better. I will tell you this about the draft. The one thing I believe passionately, man, passionately – is when you get one of these young quarterbacks and you surround them with receivers, they, your team gets pretty good. The Cardinals never beat anybody. All of a sudden, they get Kyler Murray, and then they go and get him, Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore and DeAndre Hopkins from your team. All of a sudden, they're really good. Same with the Bengals. The Bengals have never beaten anybody, but they get in Burrow, and then they get Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, and they surround him. All of a sudden, Joe Mixon, he's pretty good. Go get a lot of weapons and put them around your quarterback, and that's what I hope the Jags do. So I'll give you a long answer to a short question. I don't think they want the number one pick because that means they're not a very good football team. If they get one or two, I think they'll take one of those defensive ends. But other than that, I think you've got to go get receivers, 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 uh, whether it's through free agency or the draft, and give Trevor Lawrence some weapons. What's your feeling on this game this weekend, Frank? Because the Texans are very different than they were opening day. 
Yeah, they are. Uh, and I think Davis Mills playing changes the dynamic. I think Tyrod Taylor playing, the Texans would beat the Jaguars. And I have no doubt about it. With Davis Mills playing, I still probably lean toward the Texans because right now it just feels dysfunctional here. <clears throat> you know as well as I do, there's there's stories in the news uh, about the urban stuff and everybody in the world wants to write a story about how urban doesn't get along with this guy or that guy or players or staff. And, and the Jet, no matter how much of that's true or not true, the Jags have had to manage that, Mark. And so when you have to manage that, I think it affects your team. Um, I still think it's going to be a hard – any of these games are going to be hard for the Jags to win because in, in addition to not having a great roster, they're having to manage that. They're having to manage the dysfunction. I don't sense – and you know better than me, you're right there – I don't sense there's dysfunction in Houston. I just sense it's the young team that suddenly got younger when they committed to Davis Mills. But I don't sense there's dysfunction there. This team has to find a way to get beyond the dysfunction. And until they do, it's hard for me to see them winning many of these games. Well, Frank, I look forward to seeing you on Sunday, game day. Always a pleasure. Always fun to have game day no matter what the situation is. So thanks so much for the visit. You doggone right. Mark, great catching up with you. See you soon. Every time I hear Frank's voice, it takes me back. But when I hear Mark talking to Frank, it's really weird because I've known Frank. Uh, I mean, we watched high school baseball together like 25 years ago. Um, and he was the guy I listened to. I mean, he was my afternoon drive time host. I'd be driving home from practice and Frank would be cranking through the last hour of his radio show. And he's been doing a radio show there in Jacksonville. He's a He's a Jacksonville, Florida living legend. He is fantastic. Just one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. And, of course, the same goes for my boss, Mark Vandermeer. But hearing them on this week, the fact that I'm going to Jacksonville and we are going to Jacksonville on this weekend, the one in which I got married 26 years ago, seems kind of strange and odd, but I am looking forward to it nonetheless. And here's one other nugget about this. Mark Andre and I have not done a game together in Jacksonville in over three years. Week seven in 2018, we went to Jacksonville. Jacksonville three and three. We were three and three. We had to go there and go get a massive win against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. It was an unbelievable day. It was the Deshaun Watson took a bus day. Andre Howe was coming off uh, of the IR to play for the first time that year as he was dealing with cancer. He had lost his father earlier in the week. It was emotional like you wouldn't believe. That was 2018. Hot made it 100 catch down the sideline. We've not been together in Jacksonville, all three of us, to call a game since 2018. 2019, we were in London. 2020 was COVID. I was there. They were back here in Houston. And finally, in 2021, we will make our voyage together back to Jacksonville well over three years. I always look forward to this trip. I can see some friends. But I always look forward to this trip because we go there and get a W, and hopefully that's what will happen on Sunday. We'll break down the game more on Friday with my keys to the game and such. But really looking forward to getting to Jacksonville, Florida, right there in the St. John's River to take on Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Speaking of, Drew Doherty and I, well, we waxed poetic about some of the trips to Jacksonville, some of the things about Jacksonville, and then we dove into the nitty-gritty about this team, this offense, its struggles. We'll do that next in the lab right here on Texans All Access. All Access. All Access. 
We are approaching the end of the season, but we still want you to experience that football feeling at NRG Stadium. Single game tickets are available for remaining home games. Visit HoustonTexans.com slash tickets. Welcome back to the show. Texans All Access on this Wednesday, and it's time for the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. We are going to do a little subtraction to get to our stat. Davis Mills has played in nine games this year. He started against the Seattle Seahawks. It was the first time he had started since uh, the game before the Rams. No, he started against the Rams. Sorry. And then the next week, I think it was Tyrod Taylor who took over. I think that's the math on that, that he was starting at that point. Either way, Davis Mills has eight interceptions on the year. Against Buffalo, he had four. So take out the Buffalo game in the rain, and look, I understand you can't always do that. You can do whatever you want the stats to make them look good. But Schlumberger would like for stats to look good. You take those four away, in eight games, Davis has eight passing touchdowns and four interceptions, a two-to-one touchdown-interception ratio. Now, is it enough? No, not at all especially the fact that there have not been any touchdowns scored in the second half, and I certainly will not put all of that on Davis. The offensive issues, uh, and you know what? We're going to talk about these in just a second with our In the Lab podcast, Drew Doherty and myself, but that game against Buffalo, using that as an outlier to just eliminate that, eight touchdowns, four interceptions. Now, I'm going to compare that to a few quarterbacks around the league. Trevor Lawrence has played in 13 games. He has nine touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Taysom Hill has played in nine games as well. He has two passing touchdowns, five interceptions. Justin Fields has played in 11 games. He's thrown six touchdowns, 10 interceptions. You've also got Zach Wilson, number two overall pick, six touchdowns, 11 interceptions, almost a one-to-two touchdown-interception ratio. So Davis Mills not only um, has done a solid job as a rookie, he really is outshining a lot of the rookies. Now, if you just leave his numbers as they are, eight touchdowns, eight interceptions, that's a one-to-one ratio. Ryan Tannehill, 14 passing TDs, 13 interceptions. That's nearly, that's nearly one-to-one, nearly. And again, eight touchdowns, take out those four, that's a two-to-one touchdown-interception ratio. Mac Jones, 16 touchdowns, eight interceptions, that's a two-to-one ratio right there. Point being with Davis Mills, more than holding his own as a guy a lot of people had some issue with. Now, will I sit here and tell you that Davis Mills is lighting the world on fire, man? No. But, as a rookie, playing behind an offensive line that was not the offensive line that was expected to play, i.e., no Laramie Tunsil, no Marcus Cannon, Titus Howard moved out to left tackle, although Titus has more than held his own at left tackle. It's not perfect, and there are still some things to learn, but Titus is holding his own out there. With no running game to speak of. Throwing to a rookie. A (laughs) rookie. Hopefully he's throwing to Wookiees. 
a rookie wide receiver, a rookie tight end, Davis Mills, more than holding his own. And Sunday's going to be a great test against a defense that will bring a lot of blitzes from a lot of different angles. A lot of sim pressures, where a guy's coming from, read blitzes, they're reading the, the protection, how the slide, whether it's a slide protection, different kind of things. And Davis has got to be spot on with his blitz pickups, get the ball to his hot receivers, get the ball to guys that are open. And hopefully it won't rain, but if it does, they got to be able to manage all of that in the rain as well. So, Schlumberger Stats Challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. Check out HoustonTexans.com and the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. Now, I mentioned this offense and some of the issues. Well, Drew Doherty and I, on our In the Lab podcast, decided we would dive in and discuss some of those things and get ready for Jacksonville. So here we go. In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. Hello there, friends, and welcome into In the Lab. Me, Drew Doherty, and John Harris, and the Texans are facing the Jaguars. John, Houston's won seven in a row. If you go back to the final game of the 2010 season, it was week 17. Texans were 5-10 and 10 going into that game, and they beat the Jags, who kind of had something to play for that day, but they beat them. So since that yeah. span, they've lost four times to Jacksonville, both games in 13, both games in 17, and they've won every other game since. It's a pretty good mark, and they're dead last in turnover differential, whereas Houston is plus one. Remarkably, you know, they're, they're positive in that stat, but they've only won two games. Zoinks, man. I, I kind of send that email out to you and to Deepy and to Mark Vandermeer every <laughs> yeah. Tuesday. You guys were joking about yeah. it with Payne and Pendergast <laughs> on the pregame show a week or so ago. And that's fine, but that's, that's what I do. Texans have not won this year unless they've gone plus three or better. So they're plus three against the Jags in week one. They took, took the ball away three times and they didn't turn it over. And then they were plus five against the Titans. Other than that, if they're even or if they're underwater, they lose. That's one of the things that sticks out to me. Trevor Lawrence threw four picks last week. They got blanked. You know, the Texans are basically after the half, they're getting blanked in the last four losses. I think seven or eight losses on the season. They haven't scored after the half. They've not scored after halftime. And that's just really doomed them. And when they have scored, it hasn't been a whole lot. So they've got to find a way, hopefully, to either get out to a big lead or get some points in the half after the half and, uh, yep. and make things happen. Those are the, the things that are just sort of sticking out and kind of drilled on my brain right now. <laughs> what are you thinking well, about with first, this uh, matchup? First of up? all, first of all, I'll tell you, it's all love when I bring that up. Oh, I know. I get I know. that email from you every single week. And I, I love it because it, it reminds me. And I, and Drew, it's, you know, I know that, Coach Cully had taken some grief because, oh, at a press conference, he brings up penalties and turnovers. Well, there's a reason for that, people. Because if you, if you have too many dumb penalties, <laughs> if you have too many turnovers, you will lose. As Drago said, Rocky IV, you will lose. <laughs> You're going to lose. And last two weeks have been a perfect example of that. Now, 31 to nothing against the Colts. I don't know that anything was really going to – anything was really going to change with one penalty, but – the offense couldn't get anything going until the second quarter, seven to nothing. 
and they had Nico on a, about a 25-yard uh, completion. But it's called back. Why? Because guys were lined up wrong. Last week, when it would have mattered, against the Seahawks, they're at the one-foot line, and they're again lined up wrong. So they move back five yards, can't score. Got it. I mean, it cost them four points against the Colts. It cost them some offensive um, you know, mojo, maybe. Maybe they get it going a little bit. Who's to say? But those things killed the offense on, the, on those two particular plays. Cost them points, cost them mojo. And then the takeaways or the turnovers have been, you know, at issue. I mean, you think about the Buffalo game, uh, any game. You know, there have been some there have been some stars, but when they take care of the ball, even in the rain in Tennessee, didn't turn it over. You yeah, do much in the second half offensively. It's weird. They didn't turn it over. It's really weird, man. Like last year, the Texans did not turn the ball over that much. They were good. Oh. They were good. They just couldn't no, get a yeah. takeaway to save their lives. And right. that's yeah. Uh that's not what the Jags are like. The Jags are horrible at getting takeaways. They've only got six. Yes. And they've got four games to go. So they're 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 threatening last year's Texans team in that regard, but they're, yeah. t- they're coughing it up. I mean, something fierce. So, you know, they're, they're in, they're in similar, they're no, a different boat, but this year the Texans are turning it over a whole lot more than they did last year. But luckily right. Lovey Smith's crew is getting those takeaways and they've just got to figure out a way to clean that up and score after the intermission. I mean, and, and run. Yeah. There's lots of problems with this team. Yeah, you're right. Uh, offensively. It's just, it's mystifying to me how the second halves of games, they, they get a little, I mean, and, and last week I think was a perfect sort of, it was sort of the microcosm of what we've seen this year. They'll get a first down. You think things are going, maybe they'll get a second first down and Hey man, we're kind of, all right. Maybe this thing's going to get rolling a little bit. And then a penalty sets them back or a sack sets them back or uh, a run play that's you know goes for a two three yard loss turns into second and thirteen and now you're you're trudging against the sticks and this offense is not a trudge against the six story you got to stay in front of that it's got to yeah. be second and six it's got to be third and three you've got to be able to get in those situations you can't be in third and thirteen and so last week against the Seahawks there were I think seven drives in total if I remember no no uh, I think it was five sorry five of those five. Four got to the 50-yard line or closer to the end zone. Four. And yet got no points. And didn't even get a field goal attempt out of any of them. Now, the last drive, when it was 33-13, they got all the way down to the 14-yard line. Now, you could have gotten at least a field goal out of that. But point being, you got the ball on the other side of the 50. You did a few different things. But you just couldn't get the score. I, I don't think I've ever – seen an offense that has struggled so badly in a half be it first half second half now there were times when you know with Bill O'Brien back in say 16 15 16 where they might struggle in the first half and get, there were, I remember a few times the games were 0-0 at the end of the first quarter three nothing at the end of half or 0-0 at half but then they come out the second half do a few different things and put 14 up on the board put 17 up on the board and win a game 20 to 14, you know, find an, find an ugly way to win it. But I don't know that I've ever seen success in the first half, limited success, but success, and then nothing in the second half. I mean, you had 44 in this three-game homestand. It was 14-11, you were led the Jets. Now, you didn't do anything against the Colts. 14, you were down 14 nothing. But against the Seahawks, 
with a lot of offensive weapons, you're, it's 16-13. Mm-hmm. You're down. So in those three games, you scored 44 points in the first half. But then it was 10 nothing, uh, 17 nothing, and 17 nothing. You got outscored 44 to nothing in the in the second half. And I don't. I'm trying to think. I think in those second halves, how many times you had an opportunity? It was as if you threw an interception in the end zone, or you threw an interception in the red zone. I don't even know that there was a, a field goal opportunity. Maybe a field goal opportunity. I don't, I don't know. But getting to the second half and not being able to run the ball is. I mean, that's a big one. If you can't establish anything right. from running the ball, that what are they going to do? Play action because they go and. And they've done it before that, but they go into halftime and they're like, look, they can't run it, so we're going to sit with two safeties on the roof. And, you know, it's completely antithetical to what Pete Carroll believes in. You know, he's a he's a cover three, middle of the field, close kind of defense. That's the way he's kind of always been. They were playing two safeties high in that game because they just realized we're not going to be able to run the ball effectively. So let's take away some of the deep shots. Let's take away some of the intermediate, deeper shots. Uh, and let's let the front six, essentially, front six, front seven, whatever, but then play the run. Might be out gap, but we'll be okay. And they were. We just couldn't couldn't run it effectively enough to be able to to get them out of that to go back to taking some shots down the field. Yeah. As we wrap this up, when you were starting up that last point by talking about getting across the 50, how tough being a child of the 80s who also played Texas high school football in the 80s when there were ties and football games were stupidly decided oh. by penetrations how tough was yeah. it for you not to say the word penetration? <laughs> because the Texans so, had what four penetrations you're talking about, but they didn't they didn't score. That would have mattered a well, lot had it been a scoreless game in the 1980s. So technically, not to be well actually guy, but in Texas high school football, a penetration was inside the 20. Oh, it was red zone. And sorry, I know this. Sorry. Yeah. I know this because in 1989. We played Tomball High School on Thanksgiving night over at Tully Stadium. 10,000 people, great environment. Hard, hard, hard artificial surface. Oh, my God. And, I mean, I'm talking, it's one of the mo- it was one of the hardest-hitting games I'd ever – I mean, I broke my shoulder pads. I hit a guy so hard. They, I mean, it, dudes were just getting beaten. And it was 7-7. Seven to seven. We started a drive in the fourth quarter, and we got inside their 20-yard line. And at that point, that gave us three penetrations inside of 20 to their one. So it's seven to seven. There's like 20 seconds left. And we go for it on fourth down and not even kick the field goal because we had technically won the game by the penetrations inside the 20-yard line. So if those have been tied, then it would have gone to first downs. Then at that, at some point, there's a coin flip. There was no overtime. And so getting that penetration inside the 20, that was the one that we needed. That salted it. And coach is like, no, we'll tie, but we'll advance to the playoffs because we got the penetration. So my buddy who played for Tomball at the time was like, no, nah, y'all didn't beat us. We tied. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, we beat you because we played the next week. So, yeah, penetration's inside the 20, man. That was a that was a, that was was a a real thing back then. I don't know why they thought of that, but. That's how dumb life used to be, kids. That, that's how dumb life used to be. They didn't, they didn't like, just play overtime like you, you should have. Yeah, just so. go overtime. What are we doing? Yeah, Get more exactly. points. Yeah. Well, hey, man, always fun talking with you, and uh, we will see you very, very soon. This has been In the Lab. I did sound a little bit like I was in a cave, but I was not. I, I think I had the wrong setting on my headphones, so I apologize. It did sound like I was on the phone. But that's cool. But, yeah. 
going back, oh, jeez, 1989, man, I'll never forget it. You talk about the old, old what's the old saying, uh, Ty is like, is like kissing your sister. Man, it was the most weird feeling to know we had, and I got my air quotes up, won a playoff game. We had advanced in the playoffs having more penetrations inside the 20. It was just, it was weird. It was really, really weird. But, by the way, congratulations to Tomball High School. I know they got beat last week by Denton Geyer. But my buddy Mike Zerline, assistant coach for them, what that team was able to do, I've been following. Kate Hillams, um, I think, was up one week for Player of the Week for Texas football. He just was fantastic. And I know that Denton Geyer put it on him last week in Waco, but I don't know that that much was expected of them, but they were able to get to the Final Four in 6A Division Two, I believe it was. Um, and just an incredible, incredible show. And this week, you got Katie Paytow who's playing in a state championship game. You got North Shore taking on Duncanville again. My goodness. Uh, that's going to be uh, a whale of an opportunity for North Shore to take on Duncanville. I was watching Duncanville and South Lake Carroll. And Duncanville just hammered, hammered South Lake Carroll. I mean, it wasn't even close. I wonder what Quinn Ewers would have done with Carroll this year. But yeah, he's going to the University of Texas, so a lot of things coming into play there. But best of luck to all the teams competing in state championship games up in Jerry World this week. I always love watching those games. It, it's such a blast. And you get to the, the Saturday night games, and, man, there are 45,000, 50,000 people there. It's just incredible, the love that people have for high school football around here. But uh, it's really, really no surprise, to be honest. All right, we get back. We're going to go around the NFL. There's news about a former Texan in the desert, and it's not great news. There's a team in the AFC North that needs every single ounce of what they have, and they're not going to have it, including their head coach. What team is that? We'll go around the league next right here on Texans All Access. All Access. All Access. We've got one final segment this edition of Texans All Access on this wonderful Wednesday evening. Glad you have spent it with me. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, celebrating my 26th wedding anniversary to my wonderful wife, Paige Harris. Hopefully, well, there might be somebody out there celebrating anniversary. So happy anniversary, happy birthday, all of you celebrating a milestone this evening. Well, happy milestone, whatever that might be. I know I saw a tweet today that said 25 years ago the Oilers played their last. Their last home game here at the Astrodome, which is just, it's so just strange to think about. Really strange. So uh, hopefully we won't have to experience that ever, ever again with your Houston Texans. Speaking of, when you join a Houston Texans fan club for free, you get to attend exclusive events, enter to win prizes like autographed items and game tickets, receive special offers, and so much more. Visit HoustonTexans.com slash fans to see which one you want to join all right let's go around the league there's a lot of information flying left and right in large part because covid has just reared its ugly head yet again it strikes in la with the chargers with this dude with this news rashawn slater Andre Ware just talked about him the other day. He is Reggie Slater's son, 
and Rashawn played at Clemens High School, went to Northwestern, opted out of last year. Doesn't matter. I mean, the guys that opted out of last year, Micah Parsons, Rashawn Slater, Jamar Chase, those dudes have been as good as you're going to find. Now, I don't think Slater's going to be Offensive Rookie of the Year because I think it's going to end up going to Jamar Chase. But Slater should end up being either an All-Pro or a Pro Bowler because he's been fantastic. Well, he's out in a massive game against the Chiefs on Thursday night. Trey Pipkins. Yes, Trey Pipkins will start left tackle, and the Chiefs have to be licking their chops to be able to not face Rashawn Slater. The Raiders in Las Vegas will host Super Bowl 58. That, I think, is the 2024-2023 season, 2024 in February. Yeah, so it's the 2023 season, so not next year, but the following year. That's going to be nuts. Super Bowl uh, Radio Row in Las Vegas is going to have like 8,000 Radio Row uh, members for that particular Super Bowl. DeAndre Hopkins, you've heard of him, injured his leg against the LA Rams on Monday night. Now, he is going for a second opinion. Or actually, he went for a second opinion. He got bad news. He is likely to be out against the Lions. And it's thought to be a couple games longer, potentially the rest of the regular season. It's a knee sprain, but following the MRI on Tuesday, DeAndre went out and got a second opinion, confirmed it. It's a sprain, more than likely out for the rest of the regular season, and that is a gut punch for the Cardinals, who have fallen from the perch they've held all year long at number one. They're now third in the NFC behind the Packers and the Buccaneers. So missing hop, not good news. Speaking of missing individuals, I mentioned there's a team in the AFC North missing a lot. That's the Browns. Tom Pelissar reported Wednesday, Baker Mayfield tested positive. Also testing positive, Troy Hill, John Johnson, Malik McDowell, Ifedi Adengbo, Nathan Meadows, all placed on COVID-19 list Wednesday. And found out today that Kevin Stefanski also tested positive for COVID-19. Oh, boy. And the Browns just got a win last week. They needed desperately against Baltimore. Now they've got, uh, they got hit with a number of COVID-19 situations. So tough stuff there in Cleveland. Man, a big thanks to everybody in this show. Frank Frangie, Mark Vandermeer, DP Sidhu, JP Shadrick, my man Drew Doherty, and of course the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Thank you to my guys back at 610 for keeping me on the straight and narrow. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.